Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior writer, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Uh, so we're in um, we're in uh, day two of the supposed post-mask era, and at least in some places, uh, certainly the place that I live, uh, the... Um, the finding of uh, of the of the judge that the mask mandate was um, was un- was an unconstitutional use of executive power uh, has just thrown everything into chaos rather than liberation. We are in a we are in a complete state of weirdness. Just to give it to you very quickly, uh, O'Hare Airport still has a mask mandate. Uh, JFK and LaGuardia have mask mandates. Penn Station has a mask mandate, but Amtrak does not have a mask mandate. So you can take your train into Penn Station in New York with your mask off. But then when you when you step off the train onto the platform, you are obliged to have your mask on. If you are riding on the Long Island Railroad, the the largest or the most used commuter line in the United States, uh, once you cross the border from Queens into Long Island, into Nassau County, you can take your mask off. But when you're inside the border of New York City, you have to have your mask on. If you're in an Uber or a Lyft, you can you can take your mask off unless you're in New York City where you have to have your mask on. And on the subways, you have to have your mask on. And I just... Uh, want to read a quick tweet, if I could, from uh, the Brooklyn Borough President Mark Levine, who kind of made his reputation, uh, excuse me, Manhattan Borough President Mark Levine, who kind of made his reputation as a kind of, as a COVID lunatic, hysteric, crazy person, blathermouth, blabbermouth idiot. Um, uh, Here's what it says. Listen, important, despite changing their masks policies nationally, in New York City, Uber and Lyft are still regulated by New York City Taxi which has clarified that masks are still required in all yellow taxis, app-based rideshare, et cetera. We need to monitor the Uber and Lyft apps in the days ahead to make sure that for trips in New York City, they continue to inform passengers that masks are required. Following which, somebody tweets at Mark Levine, the moron Manhattan borough president, um, Uber driver just now said he contacted HQ to clarify this NYC mask palaver and was told Uber isn't requiring him to mask up and it's up to him if he wants to follow the city's rules. Messy. To which Mark Levine replies, not good. Okay, so borough president is a ridiculous job. Silly, stupid job in New York City. Uh, still, Mark Levine is, the, you know, Manhattan is there's a million, six people here. So, you know, he's an elected official. So he's elected by more people than than most municipal officials are elected by. And he now wants the public to monitor Uber and Lyft to make sure that everybody is still wearing a mask in Uber and Lyft. Like, you know, it's the Pavlik Morozov uh, principle of masking. Um, so uh, nobody remembers I, what happened to poor Pavlik. It's a cautionary tale. Okay, I guess we should explain who Pavlik Morozov. Pavlik Morozov was a uh, was a uh, apocryphal. Is it apocryphal? Yeah, do I we don't know think it's anyone, apocryphal? I, th- I I'm ninety percent sure, but I'm not now. Now that you okay, so, ten percent worth of doubt. Okay, so anyway, in 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 the early years of the Soviet Union, the the story arose that there was a kid named Pavlik Morozov 
who ratted out on his Kulak parents that they still held private property or they had something that the state had appropriated they were keeping hold of. And then he went and he told on his parents to the authorities, thus making him a hero, and that his parents killed him for it. So he was a hero and a martyr to the revolution. That's the Pavlik Morozov story. Um, so uh, this is the world of the, the the blue state resistance now takes the form of um, Roland Martin, formerly of uh, CNN and now a digital, uh, you know, running a tweet of himself in a in two masks and a face mask because no judge is going to tell him what to do on a plane. Like several people pointed said, out, he, he was seen maskless at a large concert not long ago. So the whole thing is obviously performative right. today. Okay. But in any case, what we have here is that's chaos. not the best one. Hang on. Okay. Well, we're, if we're going to do this, we got to do yeah. <clears throat> the president's uh, former president, Barack Obama's primary advisor, Valerie Jarrett, who also took to, to Twitter to post a, fel- a, a selfie of herself in a car, not on a plane. Um, you know, proudly into camera saying, wearing my mask, no matter what non-scientists tell me I can do. So you, you got to dive into that a little bit to, to get to the thought process. What she's saying here is essentially that this court order doesn't, doesn't tell the government that they've overreached and they can't impose this mask mandate anymore. There's no, no compelling interest. What she's saying is that the court is telling you that you have to take off your mask. So we have to think about this in two ways. One, there's a jur- jurisprudential philosophy and an enforcement mechanism that exists in her head about whether this masking thing can be done in a negative, can be negatively enforced, or she's being utterly mendacious and trying to foment a pro-masking mob that she assumes exists and only needs the catalyst of her irritated tweet. She there is are no not two being, other options. She is not being mendacious. She is not. Then she thinks that the courts can force you to do something you don't want to do. (laughs) Then she's crazy. She's not crazy. This is the thing that is happening here, which is that it's like, look, you can go on a plane and wear a dunce cap. You can walk around. You can walk around, you know, uh, with a, you know, with a, a, a clown nose on your face. That's your right as an American. You can also wear a mask. You can wear a face mask. You can wear two masks and a face mask. You can wear earplugs, a face mask, two face masks, you know, and a nose plug and the bathing suit. You can do whatever you want. Government isn't going to mandate that you do it right. That's but you we are no apparently a certain category of liberal in the United States can no longer tell the difference between that which the government orders you to do and that which it does not order you to do. If it's not ordering you forbidden. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I was just going to add that actually there are quite a few liberals who do know the difference and they're kind of they're in a very frustrated place right now. I'm I'm thinking of I'll tell just a little anecdote of this. The parents group that I've been involved in for some time now that tried to reopen schools and then we dealt with the mass mandates here being lifted in schools. Um, There are still some preschools and charter schools in D.C. that are continuing to mass, claiming that that's the safe thing to do. These parents have tried absolutely everything to to have these uh, officials, school officials, Democratic officials listen to them. They're getting nothing. They're all now like the only person, the only people who are listening to them. They're appealing to Republican congressmen on Capitol Hill who have some oversight over some of the stuff that goes on in the district, both about crime 
and about masking. And it's fascinating to see them going, I guess this is our only option. This is like going nuclear, but the only people responding to us are, and they listed like four congressmen's office, all GOP, who are, are concerned about the fact that people are being made to, uh, mandates still exist for no scientific reason, and they're gonna help these parents. And it's, it's just fascinating. They are finding themselves really deeply frustrated with their elected dem Democratic officials because those officials are, in many cases, continuing this fiction. Abe, let's just put it this way, okay? Let's just take the politics. Let's put the politics right into it. We'll talk about policy in a second. There is no Republican in the country who is going to get blamed for this chaos, right? No Republican. Masking is now a Democratic liberal fetish. It is a Democratic liberal desideratum. Uh, everybody sort of understands that Republicans are over it. Uh, so, like, congratulations, Barack Obama and the House Democrats and the, and the Senate Democrats and local officials and all of that. You own this. This is really great. People don't know what to do because of you. They don't know what to do now because of you. Well, <clears throat> I think they kind of do know what to do, um, which is just go maskless. Um, they, they, the, all the, the confusion is sort of epiphenomenal. It, it's doesn't, it, it's not really connecting to what's happening on the ground. Um, I haven't, no, I haven't worn a mask in an, in an Uber or a Lyft in ages in New York, and no one's ever said a word about it. Um, really? I think, well, oh, I, I still, I still do. Cause I don't, cause I want to like have a confrontation with the driver. No, Although if, yesterday if, I didn't because I was in an Uber. Uh, it was in a, a taxi with a driver, a taxi with a driver who had the mask down, like around his, around his chin. So I was like, well, I'm not going to wear the mask. If he's not going to wear the mask, I'm only wearing it because to, to keep up appearances with the driver. Well, I'll tell you a story, brief story about sort of reporting on people doing the mask wrong and Uber. I was in an Uber and uh, I wasn't wearing a mask and the driver didn't care. And he was wearing a mask. I said, you, you could take yours off as far as I'm concerned. And he said, oh, no, I can't do that because twice before uh, a passenger had said to me, you could take your mask off. I don't care. And I took it off. And then they contacted Uber after because they wanted to get their, some money off. And then they said so they would call and complain that I wasn't wearing my mask. And it happened twice. And now my job is on the line. Horrible, interesting story. Um, but I think liberals are uh, or, or, or the, the sort of mask obsessives. What's got them here, what, what they're freaked out about is they can no longer scold other people for doing the officially wrong thing. And they live for that. So they're despondent. Um, so, I mean, again, what was fascinating to me is watching and reading as the as the world of people who claim to be, you know, who claim to be, you know, following the science. Um, Jeremy Faust, okay, uh, guy on Twitter, hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Uh, editor-in-chief of MedPage Today. Don't ask me what that is. Br uh, apparently is at Brigham Women's Hospital in, in Boston, Harvard Medical School graduate, 100,000 followers, ER physician, okay? 
Uh, imagine celebrating the deaths of a small number of kids so that you don't have to wear a mask on a plane. What happened to decency? Or the odd thing about my being disappointed in United Airlines dropping its mask mandate is how many people who claim to love kids are totally cool with the meaning, this meaning that a small number of babies will die of COVID when we're weeks away from a vaccinate for all ages over six months. Uh, this, this was preceded by this tweet aimed at United Airlines. When I bought my tickets for me, my wife was pregnant and our unvaccinated four-year-old, I assumed you would continue to have a mask mandate. Now you cancel it and we will have to board a return flight under your new no mask required policy. Thanks so much. Um, so once again, I looked into this Omicron uh, BA2. Um, uh, no, no kid, no, no infants have died of COVID um, this year, pretty much. I mean, people may have, died, kids may have died with COVID as a result of other conditions, but um, uh, pretty much in the United States. I mean, and so. But now uh, you're going into is, policy and you're, <clears throat> we still haven't fi finished the politics section of this, which is the administration's reaction. Yes. Right. But that's policy too. But go ahead. Mm, I don't know. I think it's I think it's mostly politics. As we talked about yesterday, that the administration was probably quietly very happy that they had this taken out of their hands. They can protest and uh, talk about how disappointed they are. But the mask mandates have been taken away from them, and they're no they're no longer responsible for irritating that constituency that tweets loudly about how planes should have masking and you you want infants to die if you think mask mandates should go away. Um, the administration did a little pirouette yesterday evening where they said they would in fact appeal this ruling if and when the cdc decides to come out and say what they think is necessary when it comes to masking now which they've had weeks to determine and the cdc we should remind everybody is subordinate to the executive branch and the president so they do whatever he wants them to do if he wants them to have no masks they'd say no masks however the administration <clears throat> will not seek a stay on this order. So it is, in effect, the, C the TSA abandoned all this yesterday, yesterday quick, quickly. I think actually um, two days ago now, uh, two nights ago. And that's going to remain in place until the CDC decides what they're going to recommend, at which point the Justice Department will pursue the CDC's recommendation. Uh, it's all very convoluted. It's obvious that they're trying to keep everybody happy in their tent. But their tent is small. Well, it's, and it not, didn't... it's not big enough to justify this response. And the public policy is not commensurate with the threat of the virus anymore. And everybody knows it. Just, just a survey of the reactions suggests that the urgency around this is gone. Did I Can I, I'm it... sorry. I, I, I need to interrupt because I, I want to correct my stats because they're in some ways even worse for these arguments than I had said. Uh, in April 2022, as of the 20th of April, 20, 19th of April 2022, the number of deaths involving COVID, by the way, that doesn't mean that you died from COVID, involving COVID of Americans of all sexes from age zero to 17, which is 48 million people, one. Okay? One. In, May, in March, 12. In February, again, this is a weird number because somebody jumps to 51 in February. Uh, 
but again, this is involving, not involving, not uh, not 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 from one. Right, meaning, yeah. One. This is where we are now with the mask mandate lifted, with BA two now being ninety or ninety five percent of the cases in the United States. One person out of forty eight million in the United States died with COVID so far in the month of April. So Jeremy Faust, 100,000 followers, Harvard Medical School, head of Med Something Today, is like, you're going to kill my child and my unborn child, United Airlines. He is, that kid is more likely not only to be hit by lightning, he is more likely to be hit by a meteor and die than he is one one out of 48 million people than than he than he is from dying of covid in some fundamental statistical sense i'm well, sorry that, that's ahead. why no no and 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 many of those deaths it should be added were were of even the ones who did die of covid or listed as dying of covid were had comorbidities that put them at much higher risk but right to, that's why the category now calls it died with covid with covid you right, don't say of right. covid of well, so to the to the political point though that Noah was saying about the CDC, I actually read the Department of Justice's announcement yesterday as preparing to throw Rochelle Walensky and her entire agency under the bus. It was like, well, we'll just have to follow the site. We'll just have to listen to public health. And we know from the last two years that you're absolutely right, Noah. That when the Biden administration wants the CDC to fall into line with its political priorities, particularly with the teachers' unions and school reopenings, they instantly uh, they instantly did so. In some cases, actively reversing policies that have been enacted weeks earlier, because at the behest of the Biden administration and the teachers' unions who funded. Biden's election, they were happy to adjust numbers and adjust standards and adjust, is it six feet, is it 12 feet, masks, not masks. They did that constantly throughout this pandemic, which is why they have lost the public's trust. But I think politically, they're gonna, she's she's gonna get thrown under the bus by this administration. That's what they're setting up to do. Because if she comes out and says, no masks, masks aren't necessary, we shouldn't, we shouldn't appeal this, she's gonna have all those angry permanent maskers on her case, but they can point to her, not to Biden. Biden's like, I just followed my agency that, that knows the science. If she does in, encourage an appeal, Department of Justice and, and Biden can say, well, we're not the types who, who try to quash science. We'll just let her go ahead. I mean, it's a terrible conundrum for her, but it's what they deserve, given how they politicize that agency's work. And she's going to throw it to the panel. It's a panel. It's not my decision. We convene a panel, a panel of experts. And they say, you know, the sky could fall on June 15th and maybe two people will die under the age of 18 out of 48 million two by the way so you better you better sew up your mouth and put nose plugs on for the rest of your life because two people out of 48 million might die at any given moment if they were that concerned about death by the way i would just add they would be doing convening panels about teen suicide rates right now and teen depression and teen mental health issues that's what's killing children in this country right now that is what they should be focusing on if they really cared about saving lives sorry soapbox moment go ahead abe no no no, no. But, but the other aspect of this is that um whatever the number is um the idea that it would be prevented by people throwing on these paper masks, you know, uh, when they're not eating, you know, or uh, when they're not having a, a sip of water uh, and, and, and spreading the deadly virus the, the, the rest of the time. It's just ridiculous. It's not true. 
I mean, I, I'm just going to say it again. So the politics here are that um, in the worst environment, according to Biden's own pollster that uh, that uh, Democrats have ever seen for themselves, uh, they've just walked into a buzzsaw. Again, I'm not even talking about whether or not most Americans wanted mask or demask. I'm talking about the chaos. The chaos is what did Trump in in 2020. The inconstancy, the fact that nobody knew what to do exactly. You know, why could you, why, why was it okay to go to a restaurant where there was 25% capacity where you could eat as opposed to 35 or whatever? You know, every piece of inconstancy drove everybody insane. And this is now the ultimate in inconstancy. They could have said, okay, we abide by the judge's ruling, masking is over. Or they could have said, we are calling for, we are, we are getting an immediate injunction and we're calling an emergency meeting of our panel to try to get a ruling by next week. Okay, but we but we want an emergency injunction against this ruling, which they would have gotten from, as, as Adam White said yesterday, from the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals almost immediately as a matter of course. And they didn't ask for it. They didn't ask for it. And you cannot actually have, I mean, yes, you can have a, local masking policy that's what new york city now has so it has a local masking policy on mass transit and things like that fine chaos because again you enter penn station then you go down into your amtrak car and then you're not masked you are masked you are and the idea that this isn't going to spare uh transportation workers and fellow riders from the enraged behavior of irrational passengers either who don't like the fact that nobody is masked or who will attack somebody who is for being masked. you know like that that's not that's that that could get worse not better in a moment of this kind of you know instability and lack of clarity um i just think like i th- just think of it yeah, just anec- anecdotes aren't aren't good to to analyze but we've seen a lot of anecdotes in the last 48 hours <clears throat> and i don't recall a single anecdote of, of people who were so aggrieved by this masking thing beyond performative twitter posts about people who are talking about how put out they are from the comfort of their living room everybody who's in these airports everybody who's in these planes and i mean almost everybody is thrilled the african-american stewardess who's walking down the, the aisles of her airplane coaching people to throw their masks away and singing hymns on, along the way is not a Republican voter. These people, you have, you have to convince yourself of a fiction that everybody in these transit hubs who's wildly ebullient over this liberation is somehow a crypto conservative or a Trump voter. I mean, it's just you're living in a fantasy land. And it suggests that all the polling around masking, which has been ambiguous, people have been saying that they're kind of OK with masking is a lie, is social desirability bias. They have to know that. And the urgency that they're not demonstrating in the effort to appeal this ruling suggests they do know it. But there's a very influential constituency that doesn't appreciate it, and they don't want to piss them off. That's it. Yeah, well, that's what I mean when I say I feel like... But it's not a violent constituency. It's not a numerically large constituency. I feel like... The thread has been lost here. It is very interesting and weird. We've often said, you know, you want leaders who don't follow the polls and, you know, they do what they think is right and you, they shouldn't follow the polls. And, you know, then they go and they, 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 they 
put the policies in place that they largely said they were going to, and then they face the voters, you know, with the results, right? That's real leadership and all of that. But I don't know that I've ever seen anything as disconnected from, from, uh, you know, what the American people seem to be telling them as this administration is uh, on, on, uh, from issue to issue, to issue, to issue. Um, and this, this is, this is arguably the worst because it's the most, it was the gimmiest, right? They didn't have to do it. Judge said, you know, overreach, administrative law overreach. And, uh, and they could just sort of like say, all right, well, court has spoken. We know we abide by the results of, uh, you know, we're, we're going to follow the court and, uh, and, and move on. So they don't have to talk about it for month for weeks more the cdc's timetable means that we're going to be talking about this for another two weeks that's not good that's not good for them it's it's fine for republicans it's not good for them and i i, I it's like there's something unnerving about the um in about the sort of elementary political incompetence that is being displayed here um uh, and i don't I don't honestly understand it. I don't because I don't think that most people have a religious commitment to masking or if they do, or if this is the fact that this is remains some kind of weird atavistic response to Trump. And it's like Biden's been president for 15 or 16 months already. Uh, it's very, it's, un, it's unnerving. Um, I, I don't, understand why they don't know what they're doing to themselves it, it it doesn't follow like you know they they have billions of dollars in research they can do but I, they got the it, dnc and they got their own pollster and they got they got public polls they got private they got to know what they're doing to themselves but but some of them do but there's still this broader they are very vulnerable to something that is constantly used, so overused, I should say, so much so that even the Atlantic is now pointing this out. They see themselves as the party that protects the vulnerable, the most vulnerable, right? So they are hearing this message of the immunocompromised in the children, the immunocompromised in the children over and over and over again, even though as we talked about already today, statistically, that's a very small population, but their ethos, their sort of idea of themselves as the most compassionate versus the horribly cruel Republicans who don't care if people die. That's that's appeal still has a lot of a lot of oomph with people, even people who are quite rational about understanding the risk. So they'll that's why they'll still put on the mask, even though they know it doesn't work and they don't need to. It's like, but I care about the children and the immunocompromised. I mean, it's it's heartfelt. They truly believe this. They believe they're doing good by even just having the symbol on their face. And that's, I think, where they get stuck with some of their constituents. I don't think that they don't know. That masking doesn't work. I think that they stopped, I mean, my, uh, my anecdotal conversations with people that I know who are like this, they stopped paying attention or reading. They were told something, they believed it, they don't like the people who say otherwise, they're told those people, you know, like, don't like abortion, so they don't, so that's it, and so... And, and, you know, the New York Times doesn't like them and says that they're charlatans and they go on Tucker Carlson. And so they're not going to listen to any of those people. And they stopped paying attention. What they pay attention to is I'm going to follow the guidance. 
from science. And when the guidance from science stopped being congruent with any rational understanding of the epide- of the longitudinal epidemiological statistical facts, um, they didn't know that that had changed. They don't know that it's changed. They don't want to question that authority. They like that's the authority they like. They're happy to question other kinds of authority, but not this authority. These are rule followers. They're Type A people. They you know they go to the doctor. They listen to their doctor. They, you know, they do, they do, you know, they're straight A students. They do what the teacher tells them to do and they get a good grade and they get a pat on the head. And that's the kind of people who these are, these people, they are, they have no iconoclasm in them. They have very little skepticism in them when it comes to the statements of public officials with whom they agree ideologically. And there are not many of these people though. I mean, there are more than you think. I very much like Abe's theory that this is just an opportunity to to attack certain people that they don't like and demonstrate their moral superiority to posture and preen, and they've been deprived of it, and they're lashing out. I, I here's 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 what I hear. The reason that I think I'm telling you they're not paying attention. First of all, most people are low information. They they they. So you have to kind of be somebody who pays attention to things closely to know about this. You're not just listening to the commercials on TV that say wear a mask or, you know, a sign or whatever. You sort of like drill down because you want to know more for yourself. There are just there are a great many people who don't. And so they align in their particulars with the people that they tend to agree with ideologically and it's not like they know that masking doesn't help but they're doing it because they're trying to make a statement i just don't think that's right they don't know that masking is no longer a meaningful act if it ever was but we won't even go into that we know now for at least the last six months that masking that there is no correlation between masking and whether or not you get omicron or 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 ba2 but but okay but uh, Roland Roland Martin isn't low information. Valerie Jarrett isn't low information. What are they How do? do? You know? What do they? How do you know? How do you know they're not low information? Roland Martin. Valerie is a Jarrett boom. is actively working on K Street in Washington. She's plugged in, and she knows that the administration is not seeking a stay on this order, this emergency order where people are going to die. What do you think she does with that information? Compartmentalizes it? I know it nothing goes, about away? Valerie no. Jarrett ex- except I know nothing about Valerie Jarrett except well, I have a higher opinion of her than her. you do. I think. I well, I've never, I've barely ever seen her interviewed. I don't know anything about her. I know nothing about her except that she was somebody that the Obamas liked. Roland Martin does and a Roland new Martin, show. Roland Martin, I know. Roland Martin, I've been on TV with. Roland Martin is not an impressive person. And could he be low information on this? Absolutely. Look, I'm low information on NFTs. I don't understand NFTs. I don't understand blockchain. Everyone's there are plenty of things me. about yeah, no which, Okay, fair enough. But there are plenty... There are plenty of things about which I am low information. Okay. And then I am happy to be low information. I'm like, I don't care what you say. Blockchain is crap. But you, you know, don't like have that. to have, I you think don't, you don't have to have a lot of information to understand that the, the administration's actions are not matching their rhetoric. You don't have to have any information. You just have to be a socialized human being to understand that the urgency doesn't match the rhetoric. You give I, I people both too much and too little credit, Noah. You give them too much credit for knowledge and therefore what they're doing is actually knowingly false. And you give them, uh, or I can't remember, you, you're giving them both too much and too little credit. 
because they could also they can be acting foolishly not knowingly and then stupidly they could be, yep. they can be fools and acting foolishly which i think is what a lot of people have done in relation to the subject for the last year keeping think, themselves uninformed i'm sorry go ahead i think we're talking about two different groups of people here as as with the, many many causes among liberals and the left there are the group of people who know who are not low information. They don't care because what they're in it for is the ability to scold. And they are supported by the low information people who think they are doing the right thing. And I think these are two separate groups. I don't think if you, if you think you're, you're doing the right thing, you're, it's not about going on social media and advertising your, your masks. Um, You're sort of walking around in a panic. Uh, I think those are I think I think these are absolutely uh, two separate groups. I just want to correct myself. Valerie Jarrett does not presently work in Washington, although she is on the board of directors at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. She's a distinguished fellow at the University of Chicago Law School. So I think she keeps abreast. Of oh, good. So she doesn't finals. have a job is what you're saying, because there is no such thing as the distinguished fellow at the University of Chicago Law School. That's not a job. You don't have to do anything. You're just there either to raise money or to have money raised against your name and to represent the interests of your of your your friends, the ex president and his and his wife who worked at the University of Chicago also. So there you go. Congratulations to Vary and everybody who gets a job like that, because it's a great thing. And you know what, what you can do when you have that job? You can sit and enjoy luxuriate in your ex chair, because from the moment that Valerie Jarrett or anybody sits in their ex chair, Bobby immediately going to say, this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I mean, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Your ex chair could. Could your current office chair heat up or cool down? Ex chair can. All in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for the ex chair. And once you feel the customized supportive X chairs patented dynamic variable lumbar DVL, you will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons to love your ex chair. Try your ex chair. For yourself, risk-free for 30 days, go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call one 4 xchair for $100 off your order. Xchair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchaircommentary.com. And I also want to talk to you about our friends, our friend David Bonson at the Bonson Group and his book, There's No Free Lunch, 250 economic truths, but I'm going to dial back a little bit and talk to you about my first real encounter with David was when he started producing a newsletter called COVID and Markets. Um, and COVID, COVID, COVID and Markets, uh, he started like literally the day or the day after uh, the, the shutdown and was trying to co- collate data, um, remarkable data about uh, the effect, everything that was going on. Okay. Um, uh, actually, so yeah, it started in, uh, um, yeah, daily, daily market recap starting in March of 2020. Um, so he, re- he sent out a bulletin yesterday from his newsletter, the DC I just want to read a little bit of it. Uh, and, um, and then show you why you should buy his book. Okay. He wrote, he wrote, wrote the following yesterday. Omicron was the final straw whereby the obviousness of what I, and many others far, far smarter than myself had been saying for a long time, seemed to penetrate everywhere. 
Whereas it went about 18 months or so with COVID policy being highly divisive and split among the population. It was obvious several months ago that the politics and all this had changed as had the public mood. Major public figures were found all over sporting events and public photo ops not wearing masks, understandable since they were vaccinated, safe, and basically done with any real systemic public interest in hysteria or crisis mitigation. Union efforts were to keep schools closed again. Union efforts to keep schools closed again were steamrolled by the will of the parents and public sentiment was overwhelming back to a place of freedom and normality. Therefore, I was ready to be done with even a daily nod to COVID news and updates. But alas, there was one small nuisance still impacting the entirety of a societal block. That is, all who dared to take their family on a vacation or embark on a business trip, etc. I've now logged over 100 airplane flights since COVID began, and so I've been well aware of the comical tokenism of one wearing a mask, except when the flight attendant looks away or when their meal comes or when they drink their water, etc. Uh this was the only society-wide vestige of COVID intrusion that we had left and then yesterday happened, meaning the judge's ruling. So this is the kind of commonsensical wisdom you can get from David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch 250 Economic Truths. Go get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your fine books and Kindles and Nooks and however you want to read your books. So um, where are we going from here? What do we got? We got Help Saudi Arabia or DeSantis versus Disney. Take okay. Uh, so um, around 10 years ago, Saudi Arabia threw in the towel or 11, 12 years ago, threw in the towel on its a 50-year hostility and rage toward Israel, having decided basically that it was no longer, that it and Israel shared a common major main enemy, which was Saudi Arabia. And for the last 10 or 11 years, the, the, the kingdom, which was the uh, great, the funder of Palestinian uh, irredentist nationalism, was the, uh, was the organizer of most, uh, most of the, the financial organizer of most of the, um, international uh, rage against Israel's existence. It all flipped. It all turned. Uh, they were making quiet common cause against Iran. And um, uh, and this then was, you know, codified not with the Saudis, but with, but with nations that the Saudis gave a signal that it would be okay to in the Abraham Accords in 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, and 2020 when uh, Israel made concord, uh, peace, and 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 common cause with various nations that had once wished its its destruction. This overwhelming change, the century, this 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 epical change, uh, has been was met with cavilling, poo pooing, uh, sneering, and a sense of the utter lack of importance of this uh, central uh, ambition for the United States uh, in in the Middle East, which was to quiet down. Uh, the tensions between uh, between Israel and and Arab oil states, and they have been quieted down. And what we have now is a new administration that has come in, and based on this blockbuster story that is in the Wall Street Journal, was in yesterday, and it kept getting updated as the day went on yesterday. Um, the Biden administration has completely bungled, blundered, um, and and destroyed the uh, and has made it clear to the Saudis that uh, from from the top on down, uh, whatever alterations and changes they have made in their foreign policy that are of comfort and wisdom and and benefit, not only to Israel but to the West and to and to us and in our general 
worldwide should be worldwide understanding that uh, Iran cannot be allowed to get a nuclear weapon because it will threaten these two countries, Saudi Arabia and Israel, as no countries have ever been threatened before. Uh, that, um, you know, uh, we now have the worst relationship that we've had with Saudi Arabia uh, ever, according, according to the Wall Street Journal. Jake Sullivan goes to Saudi Arabia um, and apparently insults Mohammed bin Salman, gets screamed at. Uh, Saudis won't meet with Americans. Saudis don't want to have policy discussions with the Americans. I guess the Saudis don't trust the United States in some fashion, given what's going on in the negotiations with Iran uh, in Vienna. And, you know, I'm the last person. I did my I did my uh, bachelor's thesis on U.S.-Saudi relations that in 1982 uh, in a 100-page paper in which I, you know, was very harsh about the suck-uppery that, uh, that Western states started, uh, started using as their policy to kind of get the Saudis on their side. So I have no... I have no stake. I, I, you know, the fact that I'm even saying this is an astonishing thing to me, but when facts on the grounds change, you change with them. And the idea that this epical change should be, uh, should be entirely upended by the uh, admittedly horrible, horrifying, disgusting, and, and foul uh, murder of a, of a, of a anti-regime journalist but that that should stand on one side of the ledger, either equal to or more powerful than the Abraham Accords, uh, which are only possible because of Saudi Arabia and because of the concord between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which is only possible because of Mohammed bin Salman, is foreign policy done in the worst possible way. It's not anyway, just this Jamal is- Khashoggi <clears throat> um, that has frustrated the left, although their their irritations with the kingdom go far back. Um Jamal Khashoggi and his murder was sort of a uh, uh, one episode that crystallized a human rights record that progressives had seen as one of the worst on the planet and that should not be ratified or supported by or tacitly or otherwise by America's investment in um, in an alliance or a partnership with Riyadh. Um, I'm thinking very specifically about the campaign against the, the Houthi regime in Yemen or the Houthi militia. Um, which was an Iranian proxy and crystallized the uh, emerging dynamic in the Arab world after the JCPOA. JCPOA gave Iran a free hand and its proxies, its, its Shiite proxies, a free hand in much of the region and catalyzed the formation of a counterblock, a Sunni counterblock, um, of which uh, Saudi Arabia is a key part, but also the UAE, Egypt. Um, this is the the counter alliance that was fomented, and in order to combat that, they had to combat. That. If you're in a lot, if you were if you're a supporter of the JCPOA, you had to oppose that. Uh, so the Khashoggi thing was just part of it, but it it cre- it had its own momentum because of social media, and because of the campaign, a grassroots sub rosa in many ways campaign uh, among progressives, uh, led by the Washington Post in particular, which has professional interests as well as ideological interests in this, to to foment a campaign that would get the administration to make this an issue, a wedge issue in our bilateral relations with the kingdom at the expense of our longer term geopolitical, geostrategic interests in the region. And they won. This is the policy they wanted and they got it. And look, I have an unpopular opinion on the Khashoggi thing. Obviously, I'm not in favor of of states dismembering uh, its opponents. <laughs> Sorry um, to laugh. 
I'm glad, out, to, I'm glad to hear you. I went out on a limb. The state on that should one. not dismember yeah. opponents yeah. in consulates and yeah. in, in yeah. Uh, yeah in other third countries. Um, but Khashoggi was not really a journalist. I'm sorry. He was some kind of Qatari asset with a long history of supporting groups like Hamas. And he hated MBS for all the wrong reasons. He hated, in particular, the, 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 the changing face toward Israel. Um, he's written about it. Uh, there's a long paper trail of his connections with the Qataris. For, for us to upend everything over this is just preposterous. And to, to at, simultaneously uh, seek to legitimize Iran and its nuclear program is just, it's, it's, it's so wrongheaded, it, it, it's baffling. And now, of course, the, the administration is stuck in this position where it can't, it can't get the Saudis to do what Washington needs it to do in terms of energy, which is, which is pump more oil. It is, it, the, the, Riyadh has said in plain terms that it is sticking with its Russia-aligned plan. I mean, it's complicated. There has to be a moral dimension, especially if somebody who resides on American soil is, is dismembered by a state apparatus. That has to be a diplomatic issue. The State Department has to deal with that. And yet we know the State Department understands how to compartmentalize this stuff in a way that doesn't jeopardize relations with the, the offending state um, to the degree that it sacrifices our geopolitical interests, because they do that with Iran all the time. Americans have been in captivity with they Iran. They do it with China. They do it all do it with China. The do it with Russia. We have a lot of adversarial relations with these with these countries that use Americans as bargaining chips. Certainly don't kill them, um, but nevertheless, we understand that these are multiple tracks, and they can be handled on separate tracks. But Jake Sullivan went to Riyadh to try to merge these two tracks, and it blew up the whole affair. Apparently, um, you know, you just. Uh... It's fine. But once again, what we have here is the idea that, you know, it was time for us to have a foreign policy made by grownups. So we're going to have a foreign policy made by grownups. And this critical relationship has clearly been wildly and insanely mishandled. I have nothing against, by the way, uh, our foreign policy uh, treating adversaries as adversaries or we're talking Turkey to our to people um, you know, with whom we do business, that's part of the benefit and the necessity of being the most powerful country on earth. Um, you know, not, not, as I say, being suck up as, as we often were to the, to the kingdom in the 1970s and early 1980s, uh, including, you know, wanting to sell, sell them, you know, uh, advanced uh, uh, surveillance hardware and things like that. But um so I'm not against it. I, I feel like, you know, when we when we announced that uh, North Korea had had attained uh, nuclear uh, capability in 2002, after, you know, eight years of the Clinton administration desperately paying the money to try to get them to prevent pretend that they weren't getting to that point, um, there was a kind of big hue and cry uh, in foreign policy circles that we shouldn't have said it because, we, we shouldn't have, you know, it, it, it's bad to acknowledge the truth. And I don't think there's anything bad with acknowledging that the United States views the 
murder of of, of Khashoggi uh, under uh, MBS's aegis as something that you know we are profoundly disappointed and troubled by. Um, but you know, clearly, however it was that that point was made, it was made so badly that they even understand that they made it badly, and have now apparently spent a year sending other emissaries aside from Jake Sullivan mainly Brett McGurk to try to figure out how to paper it over and make it better and deal with it better. Um, and as I say, I think this is only, this is only interesting because once again, we were told that the grownups were coming back in charge after such a terrible period of time. And, uh, and the, the, the grownups are running a pretty, you know, outside of, outside of Ukraine, which is a lot. So I shouldn't say outside of Ukraine, but they're running a pretty crappy foreign policy. They're still, or, or they were, you know, at least until recently, negotiating the store away in Vienna with Iran. They, you know, obviously this wasn't really a foreign policy decision per se, but, you know, the pullout from Afghanistan. And now this account of the bungling and mishandling of our relationship with Saudi Arabia in the Wall Street Journal, pretty, pretty shocking um, and kind of amazing. Um, so Ron DeSantis in... Uh, in Florida has decided that he is going to double down on his um, uh, struggle against Disney, uh, you know, which began with Disney, um, Disney's CEO reluctantly being forced into a public stance against the, um, I don't want to call it what they call it. So what do we call it? Bill, what the do parents we call rights it? Bill. The parents it rights bill in Florida. Okay. <laughs> So they were forced, uh, Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney, in order to maintain his relations with the creative community and his own and his own LGBTQ community within the corporation, uh, comes out against the parents' rights bill. And, um, and DeSantis sees an interesting opening and says, who the hell are you, right? Shut up. You know, I'm signing the bill. Don't try to intimidate me. This is, you know, the, you know, all of that, uh, but now he's now he's now he's going to apparently he's taking it a step further, um, right? Uh, he is. Um, he's asking he, the leg. He's not doing. He's asking it. the legislature. He's asking the legislature. Right? He is championing. Yes. Yes. Uh, he's ahead. asking the legislature to reconsider some of the special uh, protective status that the corporation uh, enjoys in Florida, a long ago negotiated sort of treaty where Disney is treated like the Vatican is in Italy, like as its own little fiefdom. I mean, having been born and raised in Florida, like Disney is part of your life if you are a Florida native. It's just always it's ambient in the air in a weird way because it's such a huge employer, such a such a obviously global brand now. So good for him, because what he realized is that people are very keen on accountability um, right now in their elected officials because they've seen so little of it uh, of late. He's basically saying, I'm taking, you know, I'm going to not give this company that clearly doesn't represent the values of my constituents in this state. I'm going to stop giving them special corporate protection. They're just, just not going to do it. They're going to have to be treated like every other business in the state. And you know what? It's a gamble for him politically. If people get angry about it or, or, or kind of the narrative shifts about what he's doing, he'll get voted out of office. Right. He, but he's making that choice. He's saying this is important enough to my constituents that I feel that the legislature should take this up. Good for him. 
it, it is a political risk in some ways, but the broader theme here is one that I think other governors and, and other GOP uh, elected officials should look at. He's basically taking on woke capital, right? This phrase that's now been bubbling around. He's taking on a very large and very powerful corporation who that is insisting its value should be embraced by everyone. Well, everyone disagrees. There's, there isn't agreement on some of the stuff that, that Disney executives have been peddling. So he's putting it to a political test. Okay. Complicated take on this thing coming your way. <clears throat> uh, DeSantis is doing something that he's perfectly obliged to do. And the Florida legislature is doing something I'm perfectly obliged to do. What they want to do is raise property taxes for everybody in Orange County. That's a huge political risk. Now, is it justified? Or is he taking away a corporate tax break that is that was doled out, uh, corporate largesse doled out by the, the government of Florida so many decades ago? Yes. Are they at liberty to do that? Yes. Are they doing it for the right reasons? I don't know. I think they're doing it for the exact same reasons that made DeSantis decide it was a it was within the legislative remit of Florida to try to keep Donald Trump on Twitter. I think they're doing it for the same reasons that DeSantis thought it was within his legislative remit to allow Florida residents to use a vehicle to strike a protester, which a federal judge decided was not actually within the constitutional purview of Florida. Um, I think he's being drawn into this by a culturally revanchist element on Twitter in much the same way that Jake Sullivan landed in Riyadh, armed with the, the irritation of the progressive left on Twitter and blew up our relationship. I think DeSantis is making some rash judgments here in an appeal to a, to a socially conservative element, very active within the primary electorate and Republican circles, very active on social media. I don't think he's, he's wrong to do this. I think he's flirting with something that is much more risky than anybody around him has has thought about in political terms. Does he have this? Does he have the right to do this? Yes. Is it justified? Arguably, I could be convinced. Well, he did uh, are this the downsides the, yeah. very, very real and no one has talked about them? Absolutely. But he's done this before he did it with the cruise ship stuff during COVID. Remember, I mean, he's taken risks and law. He lost those, too. I think it's actually the overarching feeling of this guy will pick. He'll, he'll choose battles and fight them. And he's consistent about his messaging when he does. And I think that, I mean, obviously the, the benefit of, of getting higher uh, property taxes in a state like Florida, which does not have a state income tax. So all the all the money to the coffers flows, flows largely from property taxes and other taxation that is an income tax. But he, I actually think it, it it's very on brand for where he's headed if he has national political ambitions. Because he, once again, just like when he was attacked by you know the media and, and they kind of made stuff up about him and his his vaccination plan, he fought back not not as insanely as Trump tended to fight back, but he's trying to craft a persona and a narrative that is consistent and this fits with it. He can get smacked down, but he bounced right back from the cruise ship smackdown, as I recall. Okay, I so may maybe another risk here as well, um, which is that I think DeSantis could start to look sort of obsessive and, and eccentric and get tied to a bunch of people who are clearly obsessive and eccentric. I don't know how much of a difference that makes given the climate, uh, given the political and cultural climate now, where um, I think the rejection of, of you know, sort of situations like Disney stepping in to weigh in on policy is I think there's pretty broad disgust with 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 seeing you know the sort of corporate activism over and over again but I'm not sure yeah and I think it's a, it, 
as a phrase to borrow a phrase that John likes to use a lot of bank shot uh, because what they're angry about isn't isn't opposition to this don't say gay bill they're angry about the cultural revanchism that's on display in Disney products but they're not going okay. after that they're going after property taxes in Winter Park Florida okay which I, makes gotta, a- I gotta I gotta I gotta disagree with you here I mean and and here's where I disagree as a matter of larger strategy for the Republican Party and populism that goes beyond Trump. The behavior of America's corporations in the wake of Black Lives Matter and in the wake of, you know, the cultural liberal, yes, this is a revolution world, has opened a gigantic opportunity for Republicans um, and is creating a certain amount of tension among Democrats. Here's what I mean. So the idea is Republicans are the party of business and they're against the little guy and they're the party of business and they're the party of business. The most popular Republican politician in the country going to war with the largest entertainment company in the United States, um, you know, producer of entertainment, not because Netflix is larger or whatever, but the largest entertainment company in the United States, uh, because it, it has surrendered its neutrality in the culture war and has declared itself a combatant in the culture war, is a very good thing for the Republican Party as a brand. And the fact that there's all this scoffing and sneering on the part of liberals who have now decided that they love Disney because Disney's doing what they wanted to. Really? I mean, you know, Disney, I last I heard Disney was terrible. Last I heard Disney, you know, other people are saying, well, what about Disney and 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 the Uyghurs? What about where they film Mulan? What about the kowtowing to the Chinese communists? There was a lot of that with Disney. And suddenly Disney bought itself some social peace by surrendering to the to becoming part of woke capitalism the republican party major republican politicians going to war against woke capitalism is a is an unalloyed benefit in a world in which we know populism is an important element of the republican political message but it needs to get beyond trump's version of populism which was so wrapped up in him personally as some kind of avatar for the elites and the hatred of things like this is a real okay i have target. to ask in a very Disney, genuine Dis- yes i have to ask a very real question but he fights is obviously attractive does he have to win no that doesn't no, matter it's if a win. no no he, in he no gets, way because yeah, they're racking up a whole lot of losses he gets, no. eventually he gets credit for the fight and yeah. eventually someone is going to point that out on a debate stage when it matters and then he's going to say and what did you do in the war charlie well, they're, what did they're... you do? What did you do from 20 to 22 while you're saying that I was losing all these battles? You know what I did? I made I let everybody take their masks off. I didn't impose mask mandates. I let people be on beaches. I did this. I did that. He did and impose I, you know mask what? mandates, but he did close down the state. No, you know what I'm saying? Then I let yes, them go. Yes, I do. No, but no, no, the no, massaging of the record is something that an opponent will raise. His no, maybe even Donald open Trump. Before so anyone what? Else. So fine. So he's taking. So he's he's. Is it a risk? Yes, okay, I'm but saying, it's not yeah, go ahead. It, it, one at one level. It is not a risk if you're a Republican politician, because even before uh, COVID and all this Republicans opinions of whether or not corporations, large corporations, including big tech, including big entertainment corporations, 
Republicans' uh, opinions of that, if you look at, there's been interesting Pew research on this from like a couple of years ago, they don't think corporations generally have a positive impact on society. Like there, you can see the decline and it's a decline. It's a distinctive decline in Republican, people who are Republican or lean Republican, don't trust that cor large corporations and big tech in particular, but also entertainment corporations have the best interests of the American people in mind and are, are generally positive force. So he's actually riding a wave that started before a lot of this. Like it, it, he's not, out of step with people who vote Republican or lean Republican in, in a weird way in terms of broader uh, sensibility about corporations. Robert Chapek, the head of Disney, his impulse was correct at the beginning, which is, look, we're we, we have a very complicated role in the state of Florida. We're in a very complicated place in the state of Florida. We don't need to call attention to this bizarre Reedy Creek agreement where we have kind of governing rights over this chunk of Florida where we have this amusement park. And uh, so I want to keep my, I want to stay out of this. That's what we are. We're Disney. We have Republican, we have Republican customers. We have Democratic customers and we are in a politically ticklish situation. And he was unable to hold that line. And he therefore must reap the whirlwind a little bit. He made a choice. He knew what choice he was making. And his choice, his gamble was that it would be worse for him to not to surrender to the woke crowd than it would be for him to say, we got to stay out of this. We're not a, we're not a political player in Florida. We're in a complicated situation. If he and those companies who do this are not made to feel some form of pressure, counter pressure from non-woke people, from anti-woke people, the woke people will have won a much larger victory than they have already which is that the, the scorecard is going to be you better give in to these people. And you know what? There are no costs. There are no costs to giving into them. The costs are you, you, your, your company is kind of surrendered to their logic, but you're not going to get, uh, uh, you know, an, a, an attack in the form of, um, of if you go, if you make a political stand in a state, you're saying to Ron DeSantis, I'm your enemy. If he doesn't treat you like you're his enemy, then you win. And he's got to do that. Look, I absolutely are support going to have to do. That. I absolutely support just about everything that pairs back corporate welfare. And Republicans are the only party that's going to do that. However, I want to read you a quote from Ted Cruz on his podcast. Quote, I think there are people who are misguided trying to drive, you know, Disney stepping in saying, you know, in every episode now they're going to have, you know, Mickey and Pluto going at it. Like, Really? Like, yes, this is where the tone of the conversation is that they do believe the products that Disney promotes are promoting sexual themes, are conveying sexual, certain sexual values to children. That's what they want to combat. And that's not what DeSantis is going after. But he is no, catering DeSantis, to a, he is catering to a particular sentiment that can be that can be applied to him, even though it's not his on the fringes, which are increasingly mainstream that are very paranoid about what this product okay. is. You've and got that he's you've got to separate. First of all, you've got to separate out the strands here. Disney took a political stance on a political bill in Florida. And so this is the response to that. The other stuff that has come out with, you know, tapes of people at Disney saying we're going to we're going to insert all kinds of, you know, uh, gay and trans content, you know, in order, you know, basically openly saying we're going to try to use our power to brainwash 
you know, America's children into having the right values. That's not anything anybody made up. That's not paranoia. There, there is actual footage of creative people at Disney saying these things. We've talked about who, it. I've seen the product. I know. Right. Okay. Ted Cruz so, is saying that Disney's promoting Cinemax content. It's in his quote. Okay. That's so me. that's fringe. So that's wild. So what? No, it's not wild. That's that's the kind of that's rhetorical exaggeration for emphasis. It's sem- a semi joke. And I'm not going to defend Ted Cruz here, but I'm saying you can't if you want to say that Ron DeSantis is doing this because Disney is, you know, I'm, not Ron saying, DeSantis, I'm telling you what okay. they will say. I don't care what they'll say. OK, but this this is look, I mean, in DeSantis, that sense, DeSantis, it doesn't matter like what saying, they say, but it's like saying you can't go after Al Capone for tax evasion. Uh, because it's not really getting at the real crimes he committed. I mean, I think DeSantis is very savvy and political in trying to find an in where he knows the legislature can actually do some damage or at least the threat of damage to Disney as a corporation so that it's corporate. And then he actually has his hands clean about the other stuff. He can say, look, we just we're not we're getting rid of this corporate welfare. We're going to make sure they pay their share. Like there's so many ways to spin that that doesn't have to get into the are Mickey and Pluto going at it, which I agree is a completely ridiculous comment. I shouldn't be laughing at it, but I mean, it's it's but ridiculous. it was intended. It was intended right. to I mean, to be fair to Cruz for a second. I mean, it was intended to be as they say, an exaggeration for emphasis or a reductio ad absurdum. It wasn't like literally that, and it doesn't matter. And what's more, who knows, by the way? So it wasn't an exaggeration. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I, I've been so you agree with it. Then Disney. just adopt it. No, I'm not adopting it. I'm just saying, you know, like, once again, why, why, why is it that a Republican or a conservative has to cue to the rules where they're not going to say things that are, you know, deliberately shocking to get attention, whereas it's okay for others to do it? It's it never really okay. Matter. It always backfires. I'm it home. always backfires. Republicans get themselves into this bizarre quirk where they think that everything Democrats do works for them. All we're surrounded by the wreckage of their own failures and their own rhetorical overreach constantly. They promise the seas to recede. They promise half a dozen things that they can't deliver on. And it, it backfires on them. And now Republicans are talking themselves into a paranoid fantasy. Yes, I'm very frustrated That's by some of Disney's content. Fan- it is not the grooming a stuff fantasy. is a paranoid fantasy. No, and okay. it's kind of creepy. That is a- and that's what this is part of. That's okay, but this is not, part of. We started this by talking about DeSantis. You're bringing in the other stuff. DeSantis is because doing Because I'm something. a sentient human being who lives in this country and follows no, the dialogue. DeSantis they don't get to doing... wall themselves off and talk to a certain demographic and another. They're not talking in Arabic to me. I can hear what they're saying to so, every uh, group. There's I, not I, micro-targeting. I, I'm actually, I've lost the thread of what, what your point is. Is your point that DeSantis is doing something risky because... To cater uh, you know, to a particular he's raising group. he's raising taxes in Orange County, uh, Florida, or is he doing something risky because he's catering to QAnon people or is he doing something whatever like because yeah, all the above this. OK, well, you know, first of all, I hold no. Bri- I mean, I, I whatever DeSantis is or whatever DeSantis does is whatever. Like, I'm not endorsing DeSantis. I'm not DeSantis. I just campaign think it's, manager. it's wise for Republicans to maintain an arm's length from the dialogue that is overtaking the right on the culture, the cultural, social, revanchist right, that somehow there's a conspiracy of pedophilia afoot. There's okay. a big di- I, there's a big gap between that and a, and, a, and a corporation adopting political values that are not in line with the, the state that it resides in. 
There's a big gap. It's choose, not hard you can't to bridge choose, it. You can't choose your fans, though. So he can do the he can do the thing uh, the 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 pushback on on the politicization that the Disney introduced by by coming out as a corporation against this bill that that DeSantis had championed. And he's going to get a lot of weird followers as a result. A lot of people going, yeah, he's on our side. And maybe he is, but he's not explicitly doing it for that reason. And I think politically it's impossible if you look at the kind of people who, who I mean, th- this is what the Democrats dealt with when you had the defund the police hardcore people, which like you have the squad constantly saying, no, we really mean defund the police. Like we want to get rid of cops, get rid of jails, all of it. And then you have a larger group of left-leaning politicians who struggled with the message because right, a, it did affect that's a them perfect example. Yes. It, so that's the that's the scenario in which the the conservative politicians could find themselves down the line in a few years in elected election. Look, it's just, possible. <clears throat> I think part of the difficulty here is that th- it's not a big gap, actually, between what some of the more extreme right wingers are saying and the problems that are actually going on socially in terms of uh, content and for children and what's happening in schools. There's a gap. I agree. And it's not wise. And it's to, to, to exaggerate and to go off the reservation on it, but it's not that big a gap. We've seen videos and the testimonies of people and of teachers. And um, we've heard what, what, you know, Disney execs have said about what they want to do with content in terms of, LGBTQ plus whatever uh, characters, um, it's not that big a gap. And and so it's, it is a tricky, tricky needle to thread. I mean, look, the complicated, the horrible thing here is that grooming, grooming had a very specific meaning. It was a very specific meaning. Literally, there were efforts to groom. This was the, the great crisis in Britain and Rotherham where you had the grooming of young girls to be basically, you know, married off uh, to, you know, much older men, you know, uh, in uh, horrible, horrible ways. And the grooming was essentially uh, supported by government policy, which led, which left these, uh, you know, uh, Islamic Pakistani communities alone to continue to do this. So that was a, that was literally about the, you know, sort of conversion of, you know, even preteen girls in, in these communities in, in England into, you know, sexual creatures, wives, whatever for, for much older men. Uh, We now have circumstances in which there is a kind of ideological messaging being done through popular culture to uh, normalize, regularize, and, and make, uh, uh, give positive associations to, puberty blocking and hormone taking and and the idea that gender is fluid and that your and that your literal physical gender is no longer is something that you as a 7-year-old can choose is that grooming no and the use of the term grooming is deliberately provocative and shameful and it's bad however what is being done culturally with that message needs to be explored needs to be discussed and what's more denying republican politicians the ability to talk about this openly when it is the most disturbing thing that is going on in the united states socially for a great many people um, and not just republicans and not just conservative republicans people who are deeply deeply distressed by this rush to 
eliminate biology um, is something that needs expression in the political sphere, and it is only going to be expressed by the non-democratic party. So how that needle is threaded, as Abe said, is complicated, but it has to be threaded or or if it's not threaded, then then it goes into the worst possible way, right? It turns into Noah's version, where they just say, you're just trying to sleep with a five-year-old, uh, you know, how, you know, and then people start punching each other, and then we have a, a very bad situation there. So, so, but the, the idea that this is now, uh, liberals and Democrats have, 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 have embraced an increasingly radical understanding of human nature, and that is going to be adjudicated politically. Whether we like it or not, you know, we sort of keep hoping, or a lot of us keep hoping that this is somehow going to fade, and it's not going to fade, and so we are going to have it out in public over the next decade or the next two decades. And it's no joke, and it's going to be really ugly, and it's going to be very painful, and a lot of friendships are going to break over it, and a lot of families are going to split up over it, and there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor, but it's going to happen. So, sorry about that. If you're hearing, that's like the message that for some reason is coming in on my phone. Very bad sound for that. <laughs> for that peroration I just gave. Okay, we've run long. Uh, everybody's got to go. Uh, thanks. We'll be back tomorrow for Noah, Abe, and Christine. I'm John Butthorowitz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>